And good morning or good afternoon, everyone. This is Nelson, Nelson J. Zambrano here with another episode of Investing in America, where we talk about how to invest specifically in U.S. real estate. And we always have, or I like to always have, interesting uh, guests, interesting conversations, interesting topics. Today, I have Bob Arnold. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, my guest. First of all, you wouldn't, uh, uh, he's an attorney. Um but not the quite typical attorney background. He is a uh, former U.S. Army Ranger, came from the Ranger Regiment. So uh, that's an inside joke between Bob and I. I'm, I'm a newer school. I call it the Regiment. Uh, he says, no, no, it's the Ranger Battalion. Um, so, but, uh, but Bob specializes in, um, in real estate, uh, three specific types, which we're going to go into. But we're really going to dive into is heavily into the concept of the escrow account. A lot of folks, even in the U.S., we hear about the word escrow, but we really don't know what it means. So we're going to dive into that. So, Bob, a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you for inviting me. Hey. Um, All right. Is that right? You said it very good. Very good. And by the way, folks, we do plan on having subtitles. Okay. So, uh, so Bob, that was very good. Uh, Bob, could you introduce yourself and what kind sure. of real estate uh, do you specialize in? Okay. So my name is Bob Arnold, as Nelson mentioned. I, I have a history with the U.S. military. I was an airborne ranger. Um, later got my commission in the California National Guard. So I also served as an officer. So I like to call myself both an officer and a gentleman. Um, I later went to law school, went to Harvard Law School, graduated in 1983. I was 1993. I'm sorry. Um, I was summa cum laude from my university, and I've been doing quite a few things in business since I graduated. The types of law I practice: I've been a Florida attorney. I moved to Florida in 2004. Um, the types of law that I practice include real estate, immigration, and what I would call general business transactions, and very little estate planning. I help some people do some things with their wills, with probate, and other things, but nothing big on the estate planning side. Um, so I guess we're here to talk about escrow. Right, right. So... So, Bob, wanted to ask, and by the way, there's some uh, background noise, some construction, so please excuse that, okay? So, Bob, I, I want to talk about escrow because what I'm finding out, especially when I'm talking to folks from Latin America, investors from Latin America, that the concept doesn't exist. I used to call it a fiducia, which is it, the translation would be a fiduciary, and it kind of has some of that, but not the full extent of what we pretty much take for granted in the U.S. what an escrow account is. Uh, mm -hmm. And we just we throw that term around and people just automatically trust it. But I'm sure even most people from the U.S. don't know what an escrow account is. Can you tell us what is an escrow account? Sure. Um, anybody who does any kinds of transactions with large assets, meaning real estate, jewelry, stocks and bonds, what have you, typically use escrow agents and escrow accounts in the United States. An escrow account is basically something that's managed by a, a bank account that's managed by a third party. The third party has been either put in position 
by the credentials they've received, by these certifications that they've earned, or by the laws that have instilled their authority. But anyway, the escrow agent is usually a third party who holds money for two individuals transacting in business, buyer and seller. Okay. Third party can be something as small as, for example, PayPal. Um, PayPal can be considered an escrow because if you have it set up in a way that they will not release your money until you receive your goods, they're holding your $80 if you're going to purchase something from somebody. Banks mm -hmm. oftentimes serve as escrow. And I'll get into the real estate process a little bit later, mm -hmm. but banks oftentimes serve as escrow. Usually they serve as escrows to protect their own interests. For mm -hmm. example, if they you know, give you a, a mortgage or something like that, they will hold a portion of your money to pay things that you are obligated to pay either at the end of the year or quarterly or semi-annually or whatever. Um, and then there's the other category, which is either individuals, we too in the United States sometimes call them fiduciaries, but it's usually individuals who by credential, as I mentioned, are authorized to serve as third party escrow. And the escrow agent's job is to basically secure money, assets, documents, or whatever, until a transaction is completed to the satisfaction of the buyer. Mm -hmm. Meaning the buyer will transmit information to the third party and basically say, you may release my funds that you are holding to the seller because I'm satisfied with the goods or services that I have received from the seller. Okay. So, and, and in that, now, because there's an escrow account, right? And there's an escrow agent. Yes. Okay. What, you were going to say something, Bob? Well, the escrow account, I was just going to, I guess, define different types of escrow accounts. Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to get into that, I guess. So we, we talked about, you know, why are they used in transactions as a way to safeguard the monies, whether they're going from the buyer to the seller, or in some cases from the seller to the buyer, correct? Correct. Okay. So they use the safeguard and that's how they're used. Um, can you go a little bit into the escrow account versus escrow agent? Sure. An escrow account is generally a regulated account in which money is held. It's mm -hmm. held at a, most often, I, I would recommend it by the way, an FDIC insured organization, meaning federal protection to a certain limit for your money. Mm -hmm. Now, the account itself is generally just as an American account is insured to $250,000, is generally speaking. However, depending on the escrow agent, mm -hmm. the escrow agent can buy a bond, a type of insurance, which can in increase the amount of protection that the individuals have, whether it be a million dollars, $5 million, or whatever they think they might need for the size of the transaction. Mm -hmm. That escrow account is usually held like I said, with an FDIC regulated 
entity, mm-hmm. and therefore um, they're subject to federal law. Okay, and you buy that and federal escrow, protections. Yes, an escrow agent is that institution or individual who is credentialed and regulated and who is basically in control of the disbursement of the funds that they receive on behalf of the seller or on behalf of the buyer. You might wanna think of them sort of as a referee Mm -hmm. um, between the parties. Mm -hmm. Not not exactly a referee if they're not providing additional services. If they're only providing the escrow services to hold the money, I wouldn't go as far as to call them a referee. I would really just call them a functionary, meaning Mm -hmm. they have one thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you had one thing. That's all you got to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus, versus a referee has additional functions that they might that they might do. I will give the example in a real estate transaction a little bit later um, to distinguish between a a referee and basically the individual who has one task. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so the escrow account. It's FDIC is two fifty, two hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollars. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's the protection. Yeah. And then from there, the escrow agent, okay, that escrow agent can also increase that. Say, hey, you know what? We're going to have multiple transactions, so um, or multiple deposits, and or, it's going to be. It, I mean, if it's just based on the amount, if you know the amount that you're targeting. For example, if you're if you anticipate holding two hundred fifty million dollars in escrow, mm-hmm. you can purchase a bond and or an insurance policy for the individual people who deposit money in the account mm-hmm. and for the protection of the overall nut of the account. So, right. yeah, I mean, I'll leave it at that. But I was just going to say because I want to. I guess we'll get to real estate in the real estate. Example, mm-hmm. some banks will not work with escrow agents who don't have a certain amount of insurance. If you're doing, um, you know, big Palm Beach estates, for example, where the average right. price is, let's say, five to twenty five million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, you can anticipate that or, or the bank will enforce most of the time that that escrow agent purchases the additional bond surety or insurance to protect the overall amount of the transaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's always good to know because people will say, well, Hey, you know, what are the protections in the escrow? So one, it's FDIC insured, the vast majority of them, they should be. Uh, and then uh, an escrow agent can also purchase over and above that a bond. Um, right. So let's say with attorneys, are attorneys considered in addition to their role as an attorney, an escrow agent as well? With some responsibilities of that? Um, yes and no. Most attorneys do operate what's called an attorney trust account, which can serve as an escrow account. It is regulated by the bar association of whatever state they are a member of the bar. Um, But honestly, some attorneys do not like to use the trust authority to hold a client's assets. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example, especially, for example, criminal attorneys, some criminal attorneys, although their practice oftentimes involves, you know, assets that a client has that may be foreclosed upon or seized by the federal government or whatever. Mm-hmm. They will oftentimes work with another attorney to hold the assets to shield, basically shield themselves from the client's non non-funds that are going to the attorney themselves or that the attorney is entitled to. Right. So, so, but I mean, it's not universal, but sometimes that's the case. Okay. Some attorneys specifically in certain practices do not to involve themselves, like to involve themselves in the escrow practice. Especially <laughs> if it's dealing with criminal, because then you might have to do with uncle <laughs> Sam confiscating things right uh, right some some people i mean just like in the in the real estate broker context some brokers don't want to hold their own escrow account some brokers hold their escrow account with closing agents or with attorneys mm-hmm. yeah well it's it's one i mean so i guess that tells people how serious this is is that some yeah. people would rather outsource that um that responsibility for uh, other people that can do it better. Um, so the escrow account. So who actually controls an escrow account? Well, that would be the escrow agent. Um, that would be the person who, again, is certified and has the credentials in order to manage the escrow account. However, the escrow agent must be under instructions from the individual or individuals putting money into the account. Mm-hmm. What I mean, instructions, I basically mean the they usually sign some kind of agreement and the person who is funding the escrow account says, do not release these funds unless these circumstances are met. They can mm-hmm. be individual transaction driven or they can just be standard amount or they can be court mandated if you're in a court situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a if you're a fiduciary for a party involved in a legal situation of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there are different instruct there are different people who control the instructions that are given to the escrow agent. Okay. Okay. And kind of like an operating agreement. For the account. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Bob, um, safeguards. Um, I mean, heaven forbid, can an escrow person, escrow agent, can somebody run off with this escrow money? Well, it happens. I mean, unfortunately, obviously, there are some bad apples mm-hmm. and, and bad actors in the world. Um, it does happen. It does happen, especially when you get to large numbers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can give the example of, for example, EB-5 visa. I mean, you're familiar with the EB-5 visa, but there are a lot of people who have been, I, I wouldn't say a lot. There are people who have been convicted of improperly accessing the client's funds to do other things, including stupid things, like buy themselves a nice car, buy the, their girlfriend jewelry, buy themselves a nice house. You know what I mean? Basic fraud stuff. So I would be remiss if I did not say there are some bad apples in the bunch. 
And, you know, when you're talking large amounts of money and perhaps something happened, some triggering event in their life, you know, it's, it's a temptation. Right. So, so let's just go down that road. Then what protections would be kicking in Would that bond that was purchased kick in the FDIC money would that kick in? Yeah, depending on the circumstances, it's sort of like uh, an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. um, depending on the circumstances, mm -hmm. the, in, in the case of fraud, most of the insurance vehicles do not cover an incident of fraud mm -hmm. because they're saying that there's a third party individual that's involved. Usually what, what happens to resolve this, if it's a large amount of money, is the individual has to, you have to bring a lawsuit against the individual mm -hmm. in the proper court. Mm -hmm. um, what that's going to mean if there are, if it's a large amount, what that's going to mean is there's probably going to be criminal charges if there's evidence brought against the escrow agent. Mm -hmm. Criminal charges meaning, you know, obviously um, up to and including jail. Mm -hmm. um, and there are going to also be civil penalties attached to all the assets that that individual has or has access to or, you know, whatever. For example, let's say he brought he bought a Ferrari with client's money. Well, obviously, the Ferrari will be impounded and be sold as a way to, mm -hmm. you know, resuscitate the client's account and get the right. client back to even. Okay. So we're talking federal charges, state and federal. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So what I'm getting to is that there's a whole slew of negative consequences for breaking yeah. these laws. Yeah. Um, and on the individual, and then, um, and then if it's, I guess, stolen, uh, well, stolen means the money FDIC protects if the financial institution goes down, not against theft. Um, so what would happen there? Well, that, that would protect against that. And then insurance um, in these other cases. Right. Okay. Well, I, I guess the big thing there is there's a whole series of consequences there that go, starting to state and federal charges. Yeah, and there are actions that the individual funder should take prior to a situation like this to prevent a situation like this. Such as? Such as they should, you know, even like, so if you have wealthy people, sometimes they, they got their money. They don't, you know, once they hand over a check, they don't think about it much anymore mm -hmm. because they are, you know, comfortable enough with their financial situation. Mm -hmm. But I think that they have to take an active role in what's going on with their money. And right. at a minimum, they should get monthly reports from the escrow agent, whether it's reconciliation of the funds that are in the account mm -hmm. or whether it, you know, an itemization of what's happening with the funds, mm -hmm. you know, they should at a minimum get that kind of thing once a month. Okay. Second thing I think is sort of obvious, but you would be surprised at the number of people who don't follow this, what I would consider a basic consideration. And that is, if you're going to have that much money at risk with an individual, mm -hmm. you should vet the individual in some right. way. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you should vet the individual or the institution. 
either through your own networks, you know, not only through what's written on the internet. I'll give you an example of that. So uh, we were talking to um, an owner of a business yesterday about providing him some financing. And I, I introduced him to an individual and I didn't know the individual that well. All I knew that he was a veteran and, um, you know, he had a good track record on the internet. And I was upfront with the client. I said, look, he looks great on paper. He looks great, but I've never actually physically closed a transaction with him. Um, therefore, if you get to the point where you're going to do something with this individual, we need to go to the next level of due diligence at a minimum before we sign anything, before we you know, look to consider this person as a partner. Mm -hmm. You would be surprised at the number of people who, I guess, they just have a happy pen when it comes to writing checks, you know? Mm -hmm. um, they don't do the basic levels of due diligence and, and that's an easy thing for them to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. So vet the individual. Yes. And then vet get a monthly statement. Monthly statement, monthly reconciliation. reconciliation. You can, if you have instructions, Mm -hmm. which are saying what you what you want them to do with the money, mm -hmm. you should include in those instructions how they're going to tell you what they're doing with the money, what documents you want to see and mm -hmm. or what results you want to see, even if the results are merely communicated by whether it be, you know, an investable mutual fund, an investable fund that's running their real estate portfolio or what have you. Okay. okay. Hmm. Now, okay. Well, Bob, I, I think we've covered a lot in the world of escrow accounts um, and the fact that escrow agents and people that have, that have an escrow service, let's call it a service. They also get background checks, right? I take it. Oh yeah. Credit checks. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So, I, I mean, in order to, so uh, for example, if, me as an attorney, I'll just use my own example. I mean, obviously there are institutional examples too, if you're Wells Fargo or somebody like that. So all of these individuals are regulated by some entity, whether they're a CPA, they're, re they're regulated by a Florida, by a state of Florida institution, mm -hmm. whether they're a, a Florida lawyer, they're, mm -hmm. they're regulated by the Florida Bar Association. Right. If they're a large institution, they're, they're regulated by several institutions, meaning mm -hmm. they're regulated by state institutions mm -hmm. and they're regulated by federal institutions. Mm -hmm. And all of those institutions, before they give that individual or business a license, mm -hmm. have a standard list of requirements that they have to fulfill and have to complete. Oftentimes it includes, for the individual, certainly, it, in, it includes a background check, but not just a background check. Also, um, a basic, a history statement that the individual is a, an individual of credibility. Background, right. check, right. background check includes letters of references. Now, I don't know how much weight you give to those, but usually they include people that know them 
fairly well and or have transacted business with them. Mm -hmm. Also, they have to maintain their own financial acumen, so to speak, their own financial stability. So financial fitness. Yeah, that is going to be evaluated as part of the license. In the case of large institutions, you know, the FDIC demands that they have a certain amount of money on deposit, certain number, only certain people with certain credentials can look at the money. Same thing with individuals in smaller organizations, whether it be your local CPA or your local attorney. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a checklist of items that they have to provide and make right. sure are in good standing, including their taxes, including their own credit history. Um, although I don't know how much that influences it, that everything, but it does mm-hmm. you know, make an influence. Um, and then their own financial history. You know, have they ever declared bankruptcy? Right. Have they ever absconded with someone's money, client's money? Have they you know, ever inappropriately spent the client's money? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everybody goes through those kinds of institutional checks. And this is always good to know that this all happens. Well, Bob, um, we're kind of running to the end of our time here. Um, before we sign off, is there anything that you'd like to share to the audience regarding escrow accounts, uh, in anything along those lines? Um, I mean, I, I think I've covered it all pretty well, but it's sometimes individuals find themselves in desperate situations, you know, um, and I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of the client where they're in a rush to do things. So I've been providing escrow services for 17 years now. And I, I have to tell you that I, I used to, I sort of cut it out now, but I used to get a lot of, I'll call them potential clients who would come to me and they'd say, oh, I need services ASAP right now, right away. And obviously that doesn't give the escrow agent the time to do the due diligence on the transaction themselves. Mm-hmm. So you would get people who, who would try to rush you into becoming their escrow agent so that they could fund a transaction. A lot of times those turned out to be fraudulent. If somebody does not want to, if somebody does not want you to take time to do your own due diligence, you're probably not necessarily in a good position. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or, or, um, or better yet, maybe, or looking at a good opportunity. True, true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, two, any escrow agent worth their salt is going to have their own diligence process mm-hmm. on the transaction, not just the individual. Mm-hmm. 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 So, the those are the kinds of things that I would say to the potential client to to do before they get involved with an escrow agent. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, there's never a, a perfect scenario. There's never mm-hmm. a perfect insurance, so to speak. Right. You're still dealing with human beings, mm-hmm. but you can do your best to set yourself up in a situation that avoids as much risk as possible. Exactly. Um, you know, so, for example, if you are an investor and you're investing in stocks, mm-hmm. portfolio. 
you Warren Buffett has a bit of a track record and a bit of history. Just a little bit. A little bit. Um, Warren Schlesinger down the street who just graduated from, you know, Nova Southeastern doesn't. Right. So just think about those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's another little extra line right there. Um, well, Bob, I really appreciate this time. Thank you very much for your time. Bob, how can folks reach you? Um, so they can reach us either through the internet. We're all over the internet or through my local telephone number, local in Miami, although we have offices in Miami and Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. So the telephone number in Miami is 305-602-9099. The internet, the internet, our website is www.thevictoriablawgroup.com. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they can send me an email at info, I-N-F-O, at thevictorialawgroup.com. We speak um, all of the languages of South Florida. We have a fluent Portuguese speaker on staff. We have a fluent Spanish-speaking individual on staff. Um, We also have, we we don't do a lot of Creole, but we also have a fluent Mandarin speaker on staff. So. And so we've got yeah. what's here and what's coming. All right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're an international law firm. Okay. Well, good, good, good. Bob, could you just read out your contact information again one more time? Because I always like to make sure it gets read out sure. twice. Sure, no problem. Uh, it's like the operations order, right? Read it twice. That's right. <laughs> uh, so the, the website is www.thevictorialawgroup.com. Com. The telephone number is 305-602-9099. The internet address, the email address is info, I-N-F-O, mm-hmm. at thevictorialawgroup.com. Okay. Well, Bob, again, double and triple thank you. I really appreciate this. Uh, I know my listeners do because the questions on escrow County and what is that and how does it work? And I've always heard about it. So double and triple thank you. Uh, I thank you. And I look forward to having you on again in the future as a guest. Yeah. And, and next time, let's talk specifically about specific transactions. Okay. And, yeah. and what the extra escrow functions are within the transaction. Actually, that would be great. We could do a case study. Yeah. We could do a case study example. All right. Yeah. So we will do that. So folks, okay. we're going to do a case study example on escrows um, in a transaction. And then also maybe even some immigration. Sure. Uh, another one. Okay. We got all kinds. We okay. can do a lot. <laughs> we definitely can. All right, Bob. Double and triple thank you. Okay. Thank you, Nelson. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you too, much.